0: 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His, that's God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires." For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. And today I want to talk to you about two things that all of us need, and one thing that it takes to get there. We're in this series talking about our core values, and what we're doing in this several weeks together is we're we're defining ourselves. Uh, the purpose of defining ourselves is so that we can share ourselves and we can understand and articulate and then share, our heart as a church, and once, as we do that, and once we've done that, and as we continue to do that, what that lets us do is be on the same page. I have one of my friends, Dr. Larry McCain, he calls it, uh, he says that every church needs what he calls agenda harmony. We we sometimes say, are you on the same page with me? We want to be on the same page, sharing the same heart, and articulating and defining our values, what's important to us, Allows us to do that and lets us travel together. You know, don't you, that it's hard to travel with somebody who doesn't share your values? Let's say you're in sales and uh, you're the person that, if you um, are turning in your receipts, you make sure that you have the receipt. And if you didn't, if you lost the receipt, you say, Hey, I lost the receipt or I'm sorry. And, and if that's you, I hope that's you if you're in sales and, and you're, you've got someone on your sales team and they're the person. Who goes around look going to places saying, "Hey, have you got a receipt? Because I got to turn something in," and they're making it up. It's hard to travel with that person, right? Or if you're the person who you won't fudge the numbers, you just won't do it, and you've got somebody on your team or in your company or above you or below you, and they fudge the numbers. Oh man, it's hard to go together, right? It's hard to get agenda harmony. You're like, I think we might be against each other, not for each other and the truth that that same thing is true of the church we we want to have the same values because then what it does is it makes it easy for us to travel together and what we're discovering as we work through these together is that values for a church come from the heart of god jesus is the source of our values not our politics not our preferences not our past jesus is the source of our values and so we're articulating them so that we can return to them we're we're clarifying them for this present moment and we're clarifying them so that when we forget later we can be reminded of why they're important and what our heart is about and so we've been using some language i'll give it to you here i want to invite you to say this out loud with me Uh, First week we talked about the fact that we are relentless. Would you say it out loud? We are relentless We don't give up on people ever. It's the value of love That last week we talked about uh, that. We do whatever it takes We build for who's coming because we believe in God's future. It's the value of innovation Out of love and then today I want you to read this out loud with me, would you? Uh, We believe in transformation God's grace means you aren't stuck and there's always more to come. Now, I want to give you a, kind of the thesis here, and then I'll, I'll bring along the, things that the, the, the two things that you and I both need. I just want to give it to you up front. If you're taking notes, it's, it's a blank there in your notes, or if you want to write this, this down. Holiness is my purpose. Can you say that out loud? Holiness is my purpose. Now, I recognize that even when I say that word, holiness that likely there are some alarm bells and assumptions going off in your mind. You, you might think that the word holy or holiness, what that means is um, out of touch, or it's for someone who's retired, or it's for the pope, or it's for monks, or for pastors. It's a it, maybe it's out of touch or for, it's, a, a, it's for a specific group of people. Maybe when you hear the word holy or holiness, you go, oh, man, that's that's too hard. Uh, I don't even know what that is, and I'm not even sure that it's practical. Or maybe you you hear the word holy or holiness, and you grew up around hearing that word, and you're kind of conflicted, and you've got some angst up around it, and you're just not sure where I'm going to go with this next <laughs> Um, or, or maybe you go, yeah, holiness, yes. You finally you're going to talk about holiness. Come on. And and your approach uh, over the years though has been like you take that and it's kind of like a hammer you use to bring people in line. You're like, well, they need the hammer, right? Bring in the hammer today. Or maybe you're in the category where you say holiness, yeah, okay, well, like, like I'm I'm kind of intrigued. And we're just even hearing that word, it just we're kind of all over the place on it. And I I think. Often what's happened is we've, we've bought into, for any number of reasons, a cheap knockoff version of holiness. Have, have you ever been to New York City, and there's a part of New York City you can go, and you can get knockoffs of, of brand name things. They look like the brand name. They have the brand name. You have to go down an alley, and someone has to open a door with three different keys. You, you know what I'm talking have you Have you ever been there? You, you know, and you're a little afraid you're going to lose your life. <laughs> And you come out with a Rolex. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a knockoff. And about a week later, it stops working. I just want to suggest that often what we have done is we've bought into, for any number of reasons, a knockoff version of holiness. And so today I want to help us reclaim the heart of holiness because holiness is your purpose. You probably know this, but uh, holiness, the the message of holiness, the the need to be holy is all the way through the scripture. I want to show you some. We're going to put them on the screen here. Moses in Leviticus in the Old Testament, he said, he's talking about God, I'm the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and what are the words in bold? Can you say them out loud? Be. Be holy, because I am holy. The Apostle Paul, he picks up on this in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, Uh, So since we have these promises, friends, let's purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Could you read those bold words out loud with me? Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Peter, who later in this same letter that we just read, he quotes Leviticus 11 again, and he says, But just as he who called you is holy, so what is the bold word? Say them out loud with me. Be holy in all you do, for it's written in Leviticus, be holy, because I'm holy the writer of hebrews says that they disciplined us he's referring to our parents for a little while as they thought best but god disciplines us for our good in bold what does it say read out loud with me would you in order that we may share in his holiness and then here's the words of jesus it seems like this standard and we'd have to dig into what the word means there but the english translation jesus in matthew chapter 5 verse 48 talking about the goodness of god He says, we're to emulate God. And he says out loud, when you read the whole passage from Jesus, would you? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, the record of Scripture just from the beginning to the end is very, very clear that holiness is important. Peter describes it like this. He says that what you and I are doing is we are participating in the divine nature. Now, what what is he saying? What he's talking about is, is he's saying, listen, what, whatever God is like, you get in on that. You get to participate in whatever God is like. So then it would be a good question to ask. Okay, so then what is God like? And the scripture writer's best word to sum up the character of God, it's why it's a word that kind of we go, what does it even mean? The, the, the word that's used to describe the character and nature of God is that God is holy, okay, well, if, that, if, if I get to participate in God's nature and God is holy, well, then what does it mean to be holy? Well, we got to do a little bit of a deep dive uh, into the character of God. I, I, there's more to it than this, but I want to give you two things, and these tap into the needs that you and I have. I, I think holy at least means these two things. It means um, powerful and whole. Powerful and whole. You think about the universe that we live in think about the intricacies of the world that we live in Think about the fact that you can consciously think about your hand and you can grasp something without even thinking about it Think about how your eye can focus in on things and um, Your brain reads the image upside down But then flips the image so that you see and you can see a multitude of colors Distinctions are miraculous the number of colors that you can see with your eye think about the fact That when you get a scratch, your body heals itself. Think about the fact that the planets are aligned and they move in perfect order so that we know when when a year has passed. We know that that the sun is what gives us light. Think about the expanse of the universe and just marvel for a second that it even exists and, and then go backwards and go, okay, well, the scripture says that God created that. How powerful must God be? And then look at the life of Jesus and how Jesus comes into the world and he sees someone who's sick and he goes to them and he touches them and he heals them. Have you ever been ill? Are you going through an illness right now and you're not sure if you're going to make it? Can you imagine what you would feel if Jesus walks in the room and touches you and the illness goes away? The, I mean, you would go, wow, what a powerful person. I, I, one of my dear friends, when he was growing up, he grew up and was born with one leg shorter than the other now you'd have to know his parents his parents were the the calmest most non-expressive people just as steady as they can possibly be Um, met the lord early in their life and their son had this leg issue and he said i was i was really young and i said i remember it i remember my parents were praying and they'd taken me to doctors and and he said my mom prayed and In front of my mom, she tells the story, and again, you would have to know his mom, who's just the calmest person, just not a reactive person in any way. As my mom was praying, she watched my legs go. (laughs) Now, I I know you're sitting there going, what? No, no, no. Again, you'd have to know my friend, and you'd have to know his parents. These are not crazy people. They experienced the power of God. I mean, think about Jesus who was resurrected from the dead. I mean, we're talking, by definition, God is powerful. Can we agree on that at least? And then God is whole. Nothing is missing from God. God God creates things without need. God God is not looking for followers on TikTok. Uh, God doesn't need anyone to like any of his pictures that he posts on Instagram. Uh, God's not looking for your approval before doing something. Honestly, God's not even worried about your opinion or my opinion. Frankly, doesn't even care about it. God's whole. God's complete. Uh, God doesn't need, uh, think about. It. Stay with me here. God doesn't need you. Meaning, God is not needy. I don't know if you. I don't know if you've thought about this, but sometimes we think, well, God wants us to praise Him. That's not out of God's neediness. He just needs to hear someone say how great he is. No, no, no. He's fully complete in and of himself. He has absolutely no needs. But now I need you to hear that. That can feel a little overwhelming. You go, wait, wait, what do you mean God doesn't need me? Well, there's no neediness in his personality. There's nothing about God that needs you, but he wants you. Do you understand that someone who has no needs when they want you, they can fully want you? So there's no dysfunction in God's wanting of you. There's no dysfunction in the way God loves you. God is powerful and God is whole. That's part of what it means to be holy. And so Peter says that you and I get to participate in that divine nature. It's an invitation to share in who God is. Now, I, I want you to let that sink in for a second. Have you ever been in a position where you you can't quite seem to pull life off or make sense of life? Well, the power of God is available to you. Or have you ever been in a position where you feel like you're kind of broken in bits? You're going through grief, struggling with an addiction, a relationship is falling apart. You're like, I just feel like I'm in pieces. Well, Peter says that the wholeness of God is available to you the 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 holiness of god is available to you and you're invited to participate in it when i was in elementary school in uh, mount view elementary school in omaha nebraska uh, the the cafeteria was in the basement and most days my mom would make my lunch for me and my mom was a health nut before there were health nuts you know she went to the health food store before there were health food stores Um, You know, I I ate foods that no one should ever have to eat before those foods were popular. (laughs) And um, so my mom would make me, you know, like wheat bread and alfalfa sprouts sandwich kind of a thing. You know, I'm not saying it was that bad, but it was close. And so I would go down the stairs into the cafeteria and I would sit there at my table and I would open my lunchbox and my friend next to me would have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on Wonder Bread. Come on, it's wonderful, right? <laughs> and I get that even the idea of holiness and you know, the power of God and the wholeness of God, you know, we, if we assess ourselves, we go, oh, then holiness can feel like a bit of a threat. But could I give you a different image of me, uh, me uh, when I sat down at that table? Can you imagine that Jesus is sitting down at the lunch table next to you And you open up what you have and you're like, ugh. And then you look over what Jesus has and Jesus looks at you and sees that you want it and says, do you want some? Would you like some? I'll share. That's what Peter means when he says that you and I participate in the divine nature. So, what if our fears and misconceptions about holiness have been wrong? I mean, how do you live without power and without being whole? I mean, What's life like when there's no power and you feel like you're in a million pieces? I mean, at that point, there's nothing more relevant than holiness, is there? Holiness is your purpose. Now, that points out the problems because we're missing those things, don't we? we, we we're missing power and, and we're missing wholeness. We, we, we lack power and we recognize, if we're, if we're just honest for a second, that we're not whole. And, and Peter says... The reason is, uh, in verse 4, he says it's the, the corruption in the world that's caused by, by evil desires. Now, if you're a Christian and you hear that, or you're a non-Christian and you hear that, you might struggle, but for different reasons. And I, I think on the surface, uh, a, a Christian and a non-Christian might read that and go, Yeah, that just, we, we don't see this the same way, because a Christian might say, yeah, okay, yeah, it's evil desires, that's the problem. If we could rid the world of evil desires, and the people who have evil desires, we would solve the problem. And on the surface, the non-Christian hears that and says, no, stop calling all the desires evil. That's what's wrong with you Christians. You're so repressive with all your sin talk. And, And so it can seem like on the surface, we could never agree on what Peter is saying there because on the one hand, if you're a follower of Jesus, you might say, well, it's evil desires that are wrecking the world. Yeah, I can see that. And on the other, you might be saying, well, yeah, you Christians, you just always killed all the fun. Come on. But Peter uses a very uh, very unique word right there. It's, it's translated in the English as evil desires, but it's one word in the original language in the Greek. And I've, I've got it on the screen for you because it's so important. I think you need to hear it and know it. And it's the word epithumia. Can you say that out loud with me? Epithumia. Epithumia. It's a It's a word that, that connotes deep feeling, um, deep dissatisfaction. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to talk about that after Easter, the whole Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus is trying to talk to us about our hearts, and he goes through all of the, the standard list of things that kick the slats out of people's lives, and he gets to, um, he gets to adultery, and he talks about adultery, and, and, he, and he's surrounded by religious people who are not breaking the adultery rule, and they think they're fine before God and Jesus, is trying to make the point that, hey, you're missing the point because it's about what's in your heart, not just what you do. And in their hearts, they were epathumi'i, through miaing. <laughs> and you know what the word's translated as there in Matthew chapter 5? It's the word lust. That's how it's translated in the English there. And epithumia is not just desire, it's, it's dissatisfaction with what I have, so I desire what you have. It's, it's kind of the same word in the Ten Commandments, and we're going to actually go through the Ten Commandments in the summer. Um, it's the last of the Ten Commandments. The first says, no other gods before me. And then the last of the Ten Commandments says, okay, and, and don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's servant or manservant or maidservant or anything that your neighbor has. Don't covet. It's It's that same... That same word, and, and on the surface, again, we, Christians and non-Christians, we can't agree. In fact, we argue, even when we get to something like coveting or lusting, and, and we think, oh, 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 the reason we can't agree is we think it's about some sort of rule, just a rule. Like, like there's a speed limit in the universe, and if you break the speed limit in the universe, the moral police pull you over and write you a ticket, and if you don't pay it, you go to jail. Now, if God wanted to set up the universe so that there's just a set of arbitrary laws and you better keep them or you're in trouble not, I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But that's not how God operates. So most of us, though, have never stopped to ask, well, why is that there in the first place? So can you, can you go there with me for a second? Because we have to deep dive into our own hearts to understand this. What, what's going on inside you and what's going on inside me when you or I epithumia? Like in the moment, um, we don't believe that what I have has the power to get me to where I want to be, right? I, I don't have the power. And, and in the moment, I, I, I think that what I have is not enough to hold me together, and so my only option is to kind of look sideways at what you have. Epithumia is what has made Apple the wealthiest uh, company in history. Did you know that they had, at the beginning of the year, a market valuation of $3 trillion? (laughs) First company in history. Now, they've gone down a little bit to $2.75 trillion, so let's pray for Apple during this difficult time. (laughs) But they've built their business on telling you that what you have is not enough. And as a result, it's a subtle marketing message that we're really good at as Americans. What that also conveys to us is, okay, well, then I must not be enough. And Mapple and, and will say, okay, well, I, we know we sold this to you as the best thing ever, but nah, really, you know it's old and, and this is way better. And, and here, buy this shinier version of what you bought last year. I mean, it, come on, when you boil it down, it's epithumia. The it's dissatisfaction of what I have and wanting something else so what 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 's going on though what, under the hood when when you and I covet or we lust you, and, and if you 're going to miss this, if you think this is about breaking the covet, the no covet or no lust rule, and you 're going to miss what 's going on in you and skip right by yourself don't don 't miss yourself here so th- think about it like this you know here, here I am you know i 'm living my life and I'm trying to get by and I'm, I'm trying to become whole and, and I'm trying to make a difference and do something good in the world and I'm trying to heal from the hurts in my life and, and in the language of the, the Ten Commandments, you know, I've got a donkey and a house and a spouse and I put my nose down and I work, but as things happen, I begin to sense that my efforts aren't working and that, frankly, I'm still not healed. And this ache grows up and this urge wells up, this sense of satisfaction. There's even an element of anger in epithemia. I'm angry with my life and I think that I deserve better. And I'm angry that you have what you have in your life. And so instead of going into my heart with Jesus to find out what's there and being satisfied with my donkey and my house and my spouse, I look at your donkey and your house and your spouse. And I look at the pictures that you post on Instagram of your donkey and your house and your spouse, and you seem to have it all together. And so I epithumia. Maybe if I had your donkey, and maybe if I had your house, then I'd make a difference, and then my life would work, and I can finally find some relief. Do you you recognize this in your own heart? As I'm going through this this week, I'm like, oh, man... And Peter says it's that, that evil, that epithemia, it brings corruption into the world. I, I, you know the image for corruption. Um, it's a virus. What Peter what Peter means. And, and a, a virus, if you don't know, is just a, a, a piece of code. And what that virus does is it goes into the, the engine of a cell and it hijacks the cell and takes over the engine and reproduces itself. And if it's not stopped, what it does is it eats you from the inside out. And, and this is the image... Peter is giving this epithumia our life is corrupted by something we thought would fix us but it only deepens the ache are you tracking with me so can you see this this is not a christian or non-christian thing it's a human thing it's the same reason we all struggle we lack power and we're not whole so what does peter say it's beautiful it's a beautiful message He says, uh, in verse 3, he says, God's divine power has given us everything that we need. I mean, how optimistic is God about your problems? Have you ever thought about the fact that God is optimistic about you, that God is the most positive person in the universe? Have you ever considered that? And when God thinks about you, he's like, I'm I'm really optimistic right now about David. (laughs) I am. I'm positive on what can happen in David's life. That God's the calmest, most non-anxious presence in the world and that God believes in your transformation. Which is why we believe in transformation. Because God believes in it first. So I want to give you three truths about your transformation. If you're taking notes, um, you can fill these in as we go along. Here's the first one. You aren't stuck. Now I get it. I've got a picture for you here of a of a truck that got stuck on a bridge, right? And this might feel what your life is like. you know, you're just wedged in. you're like, I'm not going to get out of this and And you know how when something like this picture on the screen happens uh, that people start moving to the mess, right? They're like, oh, what do we do? How do we solve the problem and And that's how it is in life. You get stuck, you know, more people show up, the worse it gets and 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 Um, If if you don't fix the problem or it doesn't go away, then people eventually kind of walk away. And so you might be in the middle of feeling stuck and and you may be overwhelmed either with the shame of exposure. All these people are showing up to look at how stuck I am. Oh my gosh. Or you may be on the other side of that where where it's just not solved and people have left you and you're, you're feeling the aloneness of your stuckness. I just want to tell you, that grace is how God handles his problems. God has predecided how he will handle you, and it's with grace. It's with kindness. It's with hope. You're not stuck. Grace means that God is the initiator. So God starts things with grace. He's going to move you with grace. Things are going to end with grace. And that's the truth. I know you may feel stuck in this. Present moment, but here I want to give you an image, okay? A good image. It's about grace because you're like, how do I access grace when I'm stuck? Grace is like a spiritual bank account that's as full with as much resources you could possibly ever use. And at this moment in your stuckness, you're not quite sure how to get. You're not quite sure what the password is on the account yet. The password on the account is Jesus. That's the name, like J E S U S. If you're writing that down in your notes, right? you're not stuck you're never that's the message of holiness you're not stuck wherever you're in God is optimistic he has the power to unstuck you with his grace and with his love now you may have to lean into it it may take you a second you're going to need some help but you are not stuck here's the second thing is that God has more in store God has more in store When I was a kid, we would take trips uh, back in the back of the Caprice Classic. Come on now. Come on. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. With the window where either my sister and I would sleep, you know, like the land yacht. You know, like when we would take trips, there was the big Rand McNally Atlas, and I loved to imagine where we'd be going, and so my dad would say, you know, we're driving to so-and-so, and I would look up that state, and I would follow the directions. Now, this is, of course, some of you are going to be shocked by this pre-cell phone, you know. Like, if you miss the turn, you miss the turn. <laughs> and you might not know for a bit. <laughs> and so I would route us, you know, where we were going to go. And if we missed the turn, it was on me. Well, we've got this technology now today uh, where I may not know where you live, but all I have to do is I put into my phone your address and I hit go and I start traveling. And a voice tells me where to go. And in 500 feet, turn right, continue straight for 1.2 miles, then turn left. Your destination is on the left. And if I ever miss my destination, if I ever. Um, if I ever don't know where I'm going and I, I get a little bit lost, it, there's this miracle thing that happens. I don't know from the heavens. I don't know where it comes from. But this miracle thing will come up, and this, this uh, image will come up on my screen, and it'll say, Rerouting. <laughs> Rerouting. God has more in store. What, what God intends for you, he's, he's already dropped the pin, right? The red pin that gets dropped on the map. <laughs> He's already dropped the red pen on your life and he knows where your life is going to head. He intends for your life to end at holiness because holiness is your purpose. That's where he's already intended. And if you get stuck and you don't know where to go, you will hear a voice say, in, in 500 feet, turn left. And if you miss it, it'll say, the Holy Spirit will say, rerouting. <laughs> I got you. I'll get you there. Just keep listening. God has more in store for you. And then this is the last one, and then we're going to sing a couple songs. Um, it's training, not trying, that leads to your transformation. It's training, not trying, that leads to your transformation. What, what, do, you, what do you mean, Scott? What's well, a massive difference between training for something and trying to do something. Here's how Peter says it. He's, in verse 5, he says, so for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Well, you may go, effort, Scott. Well, that sounds, like, that sounds like trying. No, no, no. He's talking about continually growing and transforming, which is what someone who's training for something does. We're, we're watching the Olympics right now. And these incredibly skilled athletes are putting on a clinic on how to do their sport, Right? And if like me, you've kind of marveled at the fact that, man, these athletes can do amazing things. Well, how did they get that way? Well, they trained. They didn't, they didn't find out three weeks ago they were going to the Olympics and say, you know what? I'm going to try really hard at downhill skiing. I should be fine when I'm going 95 miles an hour. No problem. No, what have they done? They've They've, uh, they've made every effort to grow and to add effort to their natural skill. There's, there's a phrase in the training world that's called progressive overload. That's what they did. They progressively added a load, and then they, they went from here to here to here. They didn't try. Sure, there's effort involved, but they're not trying hard to get it done. And most of us, when we think about holiness, we go, okay, i got to try really hard right now. I go, Ugh. no, 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 no. That won't lead to transformation. That will lead to frustration. The Bible has a word for this process of training, and the the word in the Bible is sanctification. It's the process of being made holy. It's the progressive overload of your life by the Spirit of God, where you go from one level to another. Or when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, he says, you and I were going from one degree of glory to another. What a powerful way to think about your life. Where are you going in your life? From one degree of glory to another? (laughs) As you and I work and submit to the Spirit of God in our life. And so then he gives us this list. And so he says, so add to your faith goodness and your goodness knowledge and the knowledge self-control. It's this list of continual growth, right? I'm training. It's progressive overload by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it leads to, in God's economy of things, your own Transformation. One of my dear friends um, worked with a person. I'm going to be really, really vague here. You don't know these people, but I'm going to be vague on purpose. Worked with a person, and um, when I went to a specific place to serve, um, called me, and he said, hey, you need to look out for, and he named this person. And I said, "Why, why do I need to look out for that person? And he told me some stories and he said, you know, honestly, um, that, person, uh, that person's abusive toward, toward leaders and toward pastors and you just, need to, you just need, to be on, you need to have your eyes wide open. Now, you need to understand, my friend telling me this is one of, if not, the strongest person I know. This is not someone who says something like that lightly. I mean, they're just not. They weren't like, oh, I couldn't handle that person's personality. No, no. And so I met that person. I met that same person. Um And that person to me, was incredibly kind. <laughs> I would even call that person sweet. What happened with that person? See, that person was on a journey. They were they were, okay, well maybe, maybe they were at one point abusive. Maybe they were harsh. Maybe they were,, you know, stuck in their patterns of like, I got to get my way, so I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And over time, they'd submitted to the Spirit of God. And they'd been a part of their own transformation by offering themselves to God. And I experienced them as an entirely different person. What what happened in that person's life? They'd been transformed. Do you see that that's that's what I'm trying to say. That's what's possible for you, Peter. We participate in the divine nature. I don't care where you are. I know where God wants you to be, right? (laughs) Right here. Boom. Boom. so we believe in transformation god's grace means you are not stuck and there is always more to come do you believe that